there's like a hot dog stand or food food area and like I remember seeing this you know I could see the smoke come up smell the hot dogs and like I am on the right field line and I was worried about throwing one out there and hitting a hot dog stand like that was something that was like a serious consideration when I was throwing in an empty baseball field. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we're talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today, we're joined by left-hander Luke Haggerty. Luke's name might sound a little familiar to you. A few years back, Jeff Passon wrote a great piece about his journey as a Jim Morris-like comeback story returning to pro ball after years away from the game while in his late 30s. Like Jim Morris, Luke battled some tough injury luck as a young player, but his story is really about how the yips stole his promising career as a Cubs prospect. In a split second, Luke went from a guy opening eyes in big league camp to a guy who couldn't get the ball in the same atmosphere of the strike zone. On this episode, he really talks candidly about that struggle, the mental toll it can take on you, as well as how he eventually overcame it and got a second shot at pro ball. We also discussed being a big, tall projection lefty and how to actually hit that projection and how many scouts were attending Ball State games during the spring of 2001 with Luke and future number one overall pick Brian Bullington in the same rotation. Episodes are from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts as those do really help the pod. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. MLB and college baseball are both in full swing. BA has you covered on all fronts. And also subscribe to Future Projection, the latest Baseball America podcast hosted by Ben Badler and Carlos Colazzo. For future guest info this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Luke Haggerty. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he was a first-round pick of the Cubs out of Ball State in 2002. Left-hander Luke Haggerty. Luke, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Yeah, you have um, been trying to get a wide variety of stories on this podcast, and you have about as interesting a story as, as anyone can have. Let's let's jump right into high school. Uh, Luke, you're you're six seven. Where, when did you when did you hit like peak height? When were you the tall kid in class? Um, probably not till my middle soft maybe sophomore summer junior year. Um, I was pretty average. I mean, I was taller, but I wasn't the tallest until about then. I just basically everybody stopped growing, and I kept growing. So when you get into high school and you you hit you know you get up into the you get up over six five at least did your baseball and basketball coaches ever fight over who gets more of your time? Uh, a little bit. It's it's actually pretty funny. I I uh, I tried to quit baseball. Um, it was by far my second sport. I, my first sport was basketball. Um, I was a lot better. Um, high in high school. Uh. I went to the coach and said, like, hey, I need to just practice. I need to spend more time on basketball. I really want to, you know, see what I can do. And Coach Held was pretty shocked. And he was was like, well, don't you know being tall is good for a pitcher? And I was like, no, I don't know that. And he's like, and you're left-handed? Do you understand what that means? And I again, I was just like, no. Like, I have no idea. You know, I just know I'm on JV. I'm not doing so great, you know? Uh, and then he explained to me like the potential I had and things like that. And I was like, Oh, okay, well let's, you know, kind of let's go then. 
And uh, so, so that's kind of a kind of a funny story about about high school. <laughs> what was the action on just go then, though? Because being just the tall left-handed kid with lots of potential, there's there's obviously a bridge to be crossed to to turn into a quality quality prospect, at least enough to to play D one. What was the the Kickstarter in that? So, well, the first thing was I started focusing on it. Like baseball was kind of the sport where. Once spring came around, I would be asking my parents, like, hey, have anybody seen my glove? Like, I don't know where my glove is type deal. And we go and play, and it was fun, and I loved it. But uh, it wasn't something I spent a lot of time with. Otherwise, it was basketball mainly. You know, basketball is what I spent all my other time. So we kind of shifted a little bit more towards focusing on baseball, figuring out what we need to do um, to try to get better there. But really the big thing was, uh, again, Coach Held, um, was friends with Coach Maloney, the uh, Ball State head coach, and he told him my situation and like kind of like, hey, this would be a good fit for you to bring him on as a project, um, because at Ball State they've had a couple a run of a couple of different guys that were just basketball players turn into baseball players and things like that. So, uh, um, and that had success there for Ball State, so it was a good fit and good timing. Um, so they brought me on as a as a project. Um, I was topping out about 82 at the time. So your recruitment wasn't a, there weren't a lot of schools vying for your left arm. It was, it was ball state or nobody. Yeah, no, basically, you know, we had a, you know, I had a lot of good um, division two, three schools that were interested and things like that. They were more interested in like um, me playing basketball and baseball, both for their schools. But yeah, uh, ball state was kind of like the, it was a good fit and, uh, no brainer. Didn't really have a lot of options. When you get to Ball State and you're a you're the big, tall, lanky left, you're literally taken as a project. You know, in, in the scouting or baseball coverage world, you, you know, you hear the you're the projectable, you know, tall left hander, big projectable guy. When you're the guy that people are saying that about, like you know, people are saying there's going to be more velo on the way. They're waiting for things to click because of your physical tools. How much is that on your radar? Like, what is being a projection guy from the first person point of view when you're waiting? You're also waiting to hit your potential. Well, yeah, like when I went to Ball State, my goal too, again, again, was to start focusing on baseball, working on myself. I knew I wasn't good enough to get on the mound uh, just as a freshman. I knew I had a lot of work to do, so I wasn't really even wor- thinking too much about the draft. Um, I had my goal, you know, like once I got there and talked with the coaches, like as a junior, like this is where I want to be. Uh, there's other guys that uh, set uh, a path and for that. Um uh, Jeff Urban, Chris Cabay, like there's some guys that, you know, they laid it out before me and I, I just had to kind of follow a little bit in their footsteps. Um, but honestly, I didn't, I was pretty uh, ignorant to all that. Um, I knew it was there, but I, I really just didn't worry about that. I was worrying about myself. What was the gate? Like, what did the coaches tell you as far as what what's the game plan? Like, what where did you need to improve when you got to Ball State? Uh, the biggest thing was uh, in the weight room. Gaining a lot of weight. Uh, we have a great, uh, I don't know if you know much about Ball State uh, strength conditioning staff, but like they're pretty well known. Um, we had an awesome, awesome group of guys that really helped gain a lot of weight, gain a lot of strength. Um, we did a lot of long toss, kind of working on things like that. Uh, that really helped. Um, and then just being more mature, like I was a late bloomer. So just getting another year under my belt, um, maturity wise, was very helpful, just filling out. Um, my dad is 
like six nine, like two seventy five. So like we kind of knew the weight was going to come. I just needed to give it an opportunity and eat and start taking care of that. While we're on the the topic of Ball State, did did you ever attend a midweek Maction football game? It's a, it's a question I have not been <laughs> able to ask on this podcast. I I don't. I don't know if they had them then. Maction started like that whole concept. I, I was doing some research because yeah. I, you know, not to date you, but you know, you went to college yeah. a little bit before Maction got yeah. huge. But those those midweek games did start in that early two thousands period. Yeah, I was in. I just know we had to work the the parking lot on Saturdays, so the baseball team worked the parking lot, and then we go in at halftime. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't get to partake any uh, midweek Maction. Shame, shame. Well, I hope maybe you'll make yeah. it back to the alma mater. I, that that's that's on my weird <laughs> list of sports bucket list things. I'd like to just go f- yeah. like freeze my tail off in Akron or something on a Tuesday. Um, so the the first like the first couple years of college, you said you're you know you were throwing eighty two in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, most D one players are the best players in their high school teams. They don't often face competition with similar talent. Did the not quite blowing away kids in high school or at least not coming in with that much, you know, perhaps domination kind of help you in that regard? So there wasn't such a rude culture shock of, wow, these guys are a lot better. Absolutely. I was already already knew they were better than me. Like even in high school, I knew I had to pitch. I knew I had to move the ball around and I could still be successful. Like even high school, I I was like, we, you know, we had a really good team. I was seven and oh, uh. I don't know what my ERA was, but, uh, it was pretty, pretty good. Um, so going in, like I wasn't, I knew it wasn't going to blow anybody away. I knew like, I was just going to do what I can do, you know, like let the catcher call the game and let me execute as well as I can, you know, and that's basically what I focused on. And the, the results kind of followed that. Was there a specific moment that you can point to or where you realize like, Hey, I'm, I'm throwing pretty hard. I'm throwing better than a lot of the guys around here now. Well, I guess my my freshman summer, the one of the first games I started, to, I pitched, and I had no idea where my velocity was because I wasn't, you know, there's people that gun, but it wasn't as prevalent as it was now. Like, everybody was aware of velocity, and, you know, you needed it and things like that, but um, you didn't get a report, like, how we, how the guys get now. Um, so I talked with one of my teammates after the game and he's like, dude, you're like sitting 88. And for, at that time, you know, my freshman summer, the hardest I've hit was like maybe 86, you know, going in, going 82 to 88. So that was a big jump. And I knew once I was hitting that range, like, Hey, my stuff's competitive. I know I'm in in the same ballpark as everybody else, you know, as far as, as far as velocity goes. Um, we did have a, you know, still a lot of guys that hit 95, but like, I knew I could compete now day in and day out. Like my velocity was good enough. So then you get into the, you get into your junior year, get into the, the spring of 2002. How many radar guns were in the stands during a typical weekend series at ball state? Because there were only two schools in the 2002 <laughs> draft that had multiple first round picks. One of them was Cypress, Cy fair high school in, uh, in Houston. Quick correction, that was actually uh, Cypress Falls High School in Houston. Uh, Clint Everts and Scott Casmere. And the other was Ball State. Yeah, it was honestly pretty wild. My parents, you know, they would they would count. And uh, when we were in Florida, there was over 100 baseball people. 
there to scout, you know, because Bullington threw the first game and then I threw the next day. And uh, there was another guy, I can't remember, he was a top, you know, prospect too that, you know, needed to make sure we were all thrown in the same city. So everybody flew in for that. Like it was, it was a lot. It was honestly like, you know, people ask like, did you feel pressure for that in that situation that all these people are there judging you and, and, and watching you. And like my, my thing, my view on it was I was proud that I worked hard enough to get the people there to come see me. Like I was so happy that, you know, like from where I started to then like, like, Hey, like this was, this is awesome. I can't wait to show, show everybody how good I am, you know, instead of worrying about them picking me apart. I didn't care about that. I was just happy and proud that I was doing something that needed, that had all these people coming to watch me throw, watch me throw a bullpen. You know, I didn't feel the pressure in that way. What were your conversations with scouts like, or with your representation? Like how did, you know, when, when the draft got closer, how did you see it shaking out? Kind of what was your, your hope for that? Um, going into the draft, there's a couple different scenarios that like, there's the seventh pick overall, like, uh, with the Rockies at the time, um, they seemed they seemed really high on me or Jeff Francis, and they just you know they were just they were pretty honest, like hey, we're gonna make a decision probably draft day. They just wanted to grab a, a lanky lefty, apparently. Then they knew, yeah, they had it like basically like that's this that's what they needed, that's what they wanted to grab with the first uh, with their first pick. They need that was a gap that they wanted to fill. Um, in their organization. And uh, so they decided on that. And then some of the other, the other teams that were drafting still like ahead of where I got picked, you know, they, there was a decision if they were going to go with a fielder or a pitcher and, you know, at least, you know, like I know what they tell the, the people versus, you know, what's really going on is sometimes not always true, but uh, you know, I was told, you know, if they're going to pick a pitcher, it's going to be me. And if there was a fielder, it's going to be, you know, one of the other guys. And they ended up going with the fielder. So, um, yeah, not not too much. I, I mean, I was hopeful, but I kind of – we had a lot of guys at Ball State being drafted at that time. So, I was able to talk with a lot of the guys. Uh, Bullington was really high. Like, well, he's the first pick. So, we were able to have a lot of conversations about, you know, just trying to keep a level head about, you know, what could happen and uh, understanding like things shift really fast in the draft and just, you know, kind of just roll with it. When you mentioned level head, because there's, there's it's one thing to think about the prestige of being a first round pick and that, you know, what that means. And then what comes with being a first round pick is is dollar signs. A lot, a lot of, a lot of yeah. figures, six to six to seven figures, typically in that in that first round. When, when was the first time someone floated to you? Hey, if you get drafted here, you're gonna make this much money. Well, actually, it was my my freshman year uh, was the first time we were sitting. The team was sitting around, and we were all just kind of talking. Um, again, we had Jeff Urban drafted. I think it was a year before I came in with Larry Bigby. Um, so those are two high draft guys, and. You know, we're just sitting around and one of the older guys is like, he like, Luke, you do understand, like, if you hit 94 by the time you're a junior, like, you could be a first-round draft pick. And, you know, basically, like, the money that comes with that was, you know, inferred because we all knew how much, you know, Larry signed for and Jeff and these other guys that were before us. So they kind of already had an idea, you know, so that wasn't too much of a shock, you know. It's kind of, again, like, 
I felt like if they pick me there, like that's just kind of what the the cost is, <laughs> you know. Just just the cost of doing business as far as signing you. So what was draft day like? Walk me through what, you know, waiting out 32 picks as your teammate, like you said, Brian Bullington oh, yeah. goes first. And then you have a mm-hmm. 31 pick weight. What is the weight excruciating? Yeah. Is it exciting? What, what are the feelings there? It's to be, well, at that point, because, you know, we had these other scenarios that were supposed to play out that didn't. So it was like the first one was supposed to play out and that didn't. It was like, okay, well, all right, shoot. Okay. Well, here comes the next one. Ah, all right. A fielder. Okay. And then the next one is like another pick, you know, and you just start, it is not fun at all. Like I was a wreck. Um, I was really worried that I, I just didn't want to get in a situation where I had to make a decision if I should go back to school or like take what what's offered, you know, because I know like guys slide all the time. There's deals that gets made, you know, like for later guys because they don't, you know, they want to sign somebody for less Things like that, that happens all the time. I was pretty well-versed in what could happen in the draft. And I started to see me sliding. I started to get really nervous. Like I was going to slide, you know, like people slide far. Had you put a dollar number in your mind? Like I am, I am not signing for less than this, no matter what. It wasn't a dollar sign. It was, it was just like, I was hoping it didn't happen. Like I knew there were so many different options in that first round with the teams. We had such good, felt like solid communication with the teams like that. It wasn't going to happen, but I knew in the back of my head, like there's a chance it could. And I think if the Cubs didn't pick me up, I was probably going to get on the horn with uh, my representation and try to figure out a plan of like, Hey, what do we, what do we do? Cause I know they'll take you off the board if they don't think you can sign you. Um, and we didn't indicate any number pre-draft that I wouldn't take, you know, I just said, I'll, I'll sign for, you know, fair market. You know, if you pick me with the 12th pick, like I'll sign for what's fair for that pick. I'm not going to hold you over a barrel, you know, like just, but don't lowball me either. Like, I just want to do what's fair. So, uh, yeah, I was getting uh, very tense. Cause we had a, we had a party, a party going on too, because my sister had a graduation party the day before. So they just kind of kept everything out for the draft party. Yeah. Get to reuse all the all the dishes and all the decorations and stuff. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it was kind of interesting too because uh, I went to Defiance High School, so that's blue, uh, uh, blue balloons they had, and then Ball State we had some red balloons there already. So we ended up having blue and red balloons and ended up getting picked with the Cubs. So it's kind of that was kind of like a funny twist that was unintentional, fortuitous. Well, you, yeah. you know, the, the Cubs stop your slide. You don't have to worry about going back to Ball State or making that uh, making that decision. You signed for 1.15. When you get that money at 21 years old, what goes through your mind first check? First, it's like, it's you feel like, crap, I can do, man, I can buy a lot of things first. <laughs> Like that's the first thing that goes to your head is all the like possible things you could buy now and do. And then the immediate second thing is like, Nope, I need to save this. Like, let's get this out of here. Like I need to get to a financial advisor. Let's, you know, cause we talked about the plan beforehand, you know, what's going to happen and how we're trying to try to be really uh, conservative with the money and things like that. Uh, like I grew up, you know, 
I didn't go without, but you know, we weren't like rich, but uh, we had to, you know, think about our money and things like that. So, and I was used to being a broke college student that like lived off uh, like $40 a month from grandma. Uh, so I, I was okay with uh, being a little frugal there. Yeah, no, it's it's good that you had that second voice in your head about saving it because some guys, <laughs> yeah. some guys, that voice just doesn't show up. And and it, I mean, I I think about myself at 21 years old and the, the decisions I would have made with that money. So better, I mean, better you yeah, than it's, me. It's not like I didn't buy anything. Like I did, you know, like I bought my dad a truck because of their, you know. Well, their sacrifices and all the things that they'd done over the years to help, you know, to put me and my sisters and everybody first and get us to where we need to be, invest in whatever we needed to invest in and things like that. So I did buy, you know, a truck and then I bought myself a car also. Um, so that, that, I mean, it's not like I was penny pension either, but, uh, I don't feel like that was too out of line. No, you enjoy, enjoyed the, the the fruits of your labor a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, the Cubs sent you out to to short season Boise just to kind of get your feet wet. Pretty fair to say that was a an effortless stop for you. You had a one twelve ERA. Yeah, it was good. Uh, we just got in a good rhythm there, like pitching every fifth day, things like that. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great team. Also, you know, we just went in. We did a really good job hitting so that there wasn't any pressure really. Like I knew we were going to be fine if I could just hold the other team down a little bit. So I didn't ever feel like I had to be perfect. You know, I just had to just make sure I was just, again, just like focusing on executing Um, again, which is good. Good thing to only like that's, if that's the only thing going through your head, it's pretty, pretty nice feeling. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a good stop from, Really, the time you've got to Boise State, you've just had this constant, or not Boise State, uh, Ball State. You've had this constant upward momentum that you know mm. you're fulfilling this projection. You're you know you're getting bigger, getting stronger. You become a first round pick. Then you go, you know, your first taste of pro ball. You have a great debut. What are what are you hearing from the Cubs from other people? And then in your own mind about like, where do you see this momentum taking you? Like how, how high are you on yourself at that point? Cause you don't really have a reason not to be. Well, I feel confident, but I have a clear understanding of how much better I need to be and where I'm at in the hierarchy of like being a major league pitcher. Like that was my whole goal. It wasn't to be better than the people in high A or double A that didn't matter. My whole goal and the reason they they picked me and the reason I was there was to help win major league baseball games. And I knew I wasn't quite there yet. So I, as much as I was, I was happy, but I wasn't satisfied. I was really happy and proud the way I've come and the way I've worked from being a a 82 mile an hour walk on, you know, ball state to being a first round draft pick. And there started to, you know, how, I don't know if you remember like, but, uh, before the Cubs won, it would be like every prospect was supposed to be the savior of the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, and right at that time it was uh, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood, the the next two. Yeah, you know, yeah, and like so. Then I started at, after such a good uh, short season, like started people saying like I'm supposed to be the guy to round out that team, and like oh we're about ready to take off and all this stuff because they needed a left. They had all these right handed starters and. Like I'm supposed to be this left-handed starter that's going to be, you know, just like them and everything. And 
that's kind of, that was kind of a lot to to start to <laughs> to hear, you know. It was again, it was good. I looked at it as well, yeah, I've been working my butt off. Like I'm again, like I'm happy that people are recognizing the work I've put in and you know, things like that. I looked at it as in a good way of uh instead of thinking of in a negative way of all the things I would have to do. I was thinking of like, Oh man, I can't wait till I get to do this. I can't wait till I get to show everybody uh, how, you know, what I'm capable of. Can't wait to do that. I can't wait to help this Chicago Cubs team break this curse and win a world series. Like I can't wait to do that. It's going to be so fun. I can't, it's just going to be great. Well, you headed into spring training, 2000, 2003 with all that momentum Mm -hmm. and you go down with, and you have TJ. After, you know, all that nonstop upwards momentum we were just talking about, what is the experience? What's the mental strain of, of having to hit the brakes of have not just the, you know, the physical pain of the frustration? What's the what's the mental grind of, you know, helping the Cubs getting, you know, because at that that yeah. year, the Cubs was it that they that was the uh, the Bartman yeah. year, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yep. But, you, you know, you see the Cubs doing that. And what is the. The, the day in, day out of being the TJ rehabber and your momentum has just come to a halt. Well, what's interesting too is I think it was the day before, a couple of days before the field coordinator called me over and I was on the field and pulled me off the field and I was like, they don't call you over to tell you you're doing a good job. Like it's, you usually mess up and they're coming over to, to kind of yell at you or get on you a little bit. So I was like freaked out running over there and I get there and he's like, you know, he's like, Hey, how are you feeling? Da, da, da. I said, good. You know, so he laid out the plan for this year. My first full season was, he's like, okay, well, you're going to be the number one in high A to start, be there for about a month. Then we're going to move you up to double A, just kind of do all right. You know, you don't have to set the world on fire or anything, just pitch how you can. And then from there, we'll see how you're doing. And we'll either call you up from double A or we're going to uh, have you stop by AAA quickly before we move you up. But worst case scenario this year is going to be a September call-up. And, you know, so that was a couple of days right before I ended up getting hurt. So it was kind of even more of a, a dagger because basically, you know, again, I was like, awesome. This is so great. Like everything I've, you know, wanted and you know now i'm gonna get that chance to show everybody what type of pitcher i can be yeah you had the chance to save steve bartman yeah you know like who knows (laughs) (laughs) might have saved him you know like might have gotten that but yeah so then uh yeah it was pretty you know like everybody you start to think you know I i took care of myself for sure but you don't have that injury aspect in your head ever like you can't So you start to believe like, so when it happens, it was pretty shocking. Uh, And I went through denial. I was like, oh, it's just a strain. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to go see the doctor and it's going to be okay. I'll be back by, you know, June. I'll see you guys soon, you know, all this stuff. And then, uh, you know, once the reality set in too of actually having surgery, uh, it didn't really set in actually until you start, they start rolling you back to the surgery, surgery room. Like that's when it was just like, this is a big deal because you hear about it, but you just kind of blow it off. Like, Oh, it's just no big deal. Guys have said, it's like, Oh, it's just like an oil change. You're fine. And it's like, that's not really the the case. Well, I think as fans, especially now we almost take for granted, 
Tommy John survivors. You know, the guy's going to be gone for a year and then he's going to be back. You know, like we got like Chris Sale's coming back this year. You know, it's it's just a one year thing. It's going to be fine. But mm-hmm. but fans don't do the rehab and we don't see the guy, you know, when he's not at the, you know, at the ballpark on TV. What were you told? What did you what did you believe? Like you, you come out of surgery, you know, your arms in that huge mm-hmm. gigantic thing. They put it in after TJ, you know, mm-hmm. were you, were you confident in the, Hey, it's going to be a setback and, but I'll, I'll be back pretty easily. Yeah, of course. Cause that's what everybody's telling me too. And I'm belie- I, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. It's like at that time too, everybody's like, Oh man. He's like, don't worry, man. You're going to come back. You're going to be even throwing even harder than you were when you got hurt. Uh, He's like, you're going to be great. Like, no big deal. I got you. You know, we went and saw Dr. Andrews. Like, he's like, the surgery went awesome. Everything looks great. Like, you're solid in there. You know, da-da-da. Then they started rehab. Um, So that, that – I was very optimistic. Everything went wonderful for, you know, the whole time until I started, uh, started to throw. You know, and then that's when the – started having the problems. Was that, was it physical problem? Like, did it hurt or was that when you started to, was that when the yips started to creep in? That was, that was the physical problems, you know? So I think, uh, yeah, like my arm was just hurting, hurting bad. And I was like, I, you know, I was like, I, this seems like a lot, you know? And they're just like, throw through it. And I'm like, all right, you sure? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, Okay. Um, so he just kept throwing through it and the pain didn't go away at all. Like, uh, we're talking pain where I'd throw the ball and then walk in a 10 foot circle and then put my glove up to like, get the ball back. Like you guys are killing me here, but all right, like I'll keep doing it, you know? And, uh, so then we went and saw the doctor again and he's feeling my arm and he's like, oh, this feels a little loose, you know? And he's, and just like, then when he started talking about, you know, sometimes the surgery doesn't work and things like that. And we need to maybe reassess, but let's take, let's start back over with your throwing program and go again and see, see how it goes. And I was like, okay, you know, and, uh, when you hear surgery might sometimes doesn't work, what, I mean, yeah. what goes through your head at that point? Are you like, nope, yeah, this is actually fine. We can do the throwing program. I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, that's, again, that's the first time you hear of something negative of like, Oh, well, this doesn't always, your tendons are, you know, like, doesn't always take. I was like, what? Uh, can you come again? <laughs> uh, you know, like, so uh, that was a, that was a big time shock. And I already wasn't feeling good. So I was like, yeah, totally makes sense. Like when he moved, he moved my arm around, you know, like did the test. I was like, yeah, that doesn't feel good. Um, But we started the throwing program over again. And, you know, I, I felt somewhat better, you know, it was still a lot of discomfort, a lot of, you know, pain and things like that. And basically I got to the point where I was just like, you know, all right, I'm fine, whatever. Like, this is just going to be, you know, cause it started to, Oh, well, you know, your arm's not going to be the same as it was before this and that. And I was like, I don't know, this is, this kind of sucks a lot, you know, <laughs> like, like, all right, if you say so. And like, well, let's just, all right, let's just wing it. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like I'll throw, I'll, I'll do whatever I can for you, but you know. Do you think there's a better way for teams or doctors or anything to go about talking to a guy before he has TJ than just the, the complete confidence route? Or do you think that's still the best way to go and just saying, Hey, you're going to be fine in a year. I would. Yeah. I would say 
just being fine because there is a mental part of it. Like once you start throwing harder, you have to be for you to hit your 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 big velos. Um, you have to be all in, like full send. You know, I'm completely healthy. I'm 100. I'm like Superman. Like this this elbow's more stable than it's ever been. Like I'm ready to go. Once you get back on the mound, like an actual game action, you you know they throw you out there in the AZL. They throw you out a little bit in Boise. How did you how did you feel mentally and physically? Uh, pretty worn out because I went through. Uh, it was about two years straight of rehab that I went through uh, to try to get to the point. Like I said, at the uh, I was just I was just like you know my arm was bothering me. We kept trying things that like you know whatever was known at the time and just wasn't really working. So I just said, screw it. Like, all right, I feel better. Like, let's just, just let me get out of here and try something, you know? Um, so I was able to work through enough and, uh, I wasn't like super confident in my arm holding up. Um, but I just went out there and did the best I could at that point. That off season, were you aware of what the rule five draft was? I had no idea. <laughs> like, Somebody came in and asked the other day about, hey, do you know about the Rule 5? I was like, I do now. But like before I came out, I was working out, and I came out, and I had like 20 messages, all these missed calls. Like I was freaked out. I saw my phone, and I was worried somebody, like something bad happened because like that would be the only reason anybody would <laughs> I'd have that many missed calls. But they said like the Rule 5 draft, and I was like, okay, what's that? It's like, well, you got picked in it. You got picked by the Orioles, and then you got traded to the Marlins. And I was like okay, well, what's that mean? Do I go to the Marlins or what? Like what, you know, and then finally got explained to me and I was like, oh, all right. So that's, that's pretty good. You know, cool. What's the, the first call like from the Marlins? How does a team sell you on a chance to jump five levels to, to make like, what did they give you a realistic view of your chances? Cause any rule five pick sticking is a, is a tall task. A guy who yeah. has not pitched above <laughs> you know, short season uh, short. Yeah. Is, uh, and been have for two years. Yeah. Yeah. The tallest <laughs> like, of tasks really. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that the, I don't remember a conversation at all besides like, this is when spring starts. <laughs> there wasn't any, he said like, I was like, okay, well, you know, can I come out early to get acquainted and kind of, you know, get my feet under me? And they're like, yeah, sure. Pretty, uh, pretty hands off with the Marlins. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that was normal. I, I didn't really think about that till now that, you know, I just like they told me where to be and when to be. And like that was about it, you know, and uh, not the greatest sign just to start out with that Like you've got a great shot of making this club out of spring training. Yeah. Well, what happened, too, is like once a, after the rule five draft, they turned the, the Marlins. They went super team. And signed like, I don't know, it seemed like freaking 15 free agents, like all signed to the Marlins after the Rule 5 draft. And I was like, all right, we had, we had, it was like a literal all star team that year. It was, it was really cool to be around all those guys and they were awesome. Um, but pretty tall order <laughs> to try to make a team. So it was going to be a weird spring for you regardless. But what was the, what was the first sign of, of real trouble? Once you got in the mound, that things weren't as they had been. Yeah, because I was doing awesome. Like a lot of the guys were coming up and just telling me, like you know, like a lot of good feedback. The coaches, um, Jack McKeon was just saying, you know, like look good, they're a big fella, you know. And I was like, oh wow, like that was, you know, huge. 
have somebody like that, like even just, you know, I'd say I'm, you know, it is big league camp, but like, Hey, I get it. Like I'm a low man on the totem pole here. Like they don't really, they hope I work out, but you know, they're not really planning on it. So, uh, so that was really cool. And then we had live at bats and that was the first media day. So, you know, like we turned, like I said, we turned into an all-star team. So every media outlet was there. There's tons of cameras, things like that. Um, and it's live at bats and like I'm throwing against the starting outfielders for the team that year. And for some reason, like this thing, like this one thought, like, Hey, uh, I hope you don't hurt anybody. Like, I hope I, like, it was just something I said to myself. And then I was like, everything just spiraled from there. It felt like a fuse went off. Like somebody just turned the switch off of, you know, how I thought, I was so excited. People were there, you know, like I had, you know, I can't wait to show everybody how good I am. I deserve to be here. I belong here. All this stuff. Like basically like a switch went off and every thought I have was like the opposite of that, you know, and I was standing in there, I was standing out in the outfield and I was, I was about ready to go warm up. And I was like, I felt this like adrenaline wash all over me and thinking, Oh crap. I don't know how to pitch. Like it was the weirdest thing. Like I can't even ex- like it was literally like that. I can't. It's I'm not exaggerating one bit at all. So it was instant. It wasn't gradual. No, I still held on gradually, but like in my head was like, crap. Okay, what do we do? You know what I mean? How do I get through this throw? You know, like, how do I can, how do I get out of this situation? You know, what do I need to do? How do I, you know, it was just not, it was, you know, everything was bad. What were, what were those live ABs like? Essentially the first time you ever, you know, you pitched with the Yips. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was an absolute battle to be like, you're fine. You're fine. Breathe. You're fine. You got this. Just pick your leg up, throw the ball, see the catcher, get it, get through this. And then we'll figure out what the heck's going on after this. You know what I mean? Like it was just, uh, you know, I did end up getting through it somehow, but like I knew something was like really wrong at that point, you know? And at that time too, there wasn't as many mental coaches out there that I could be like, Hey, I don't know what's going on. You know, I have these things and things like that. It was, there's, it was still kind of in the, if you have a mental problem, you're soft, you know, and like, Oh, you can't cut it or this isn't for you. You just can't, you know, type thing. So, uh, that was, that was part of the, you know, it just, there wasn't as many, uh, options as there are now. How many solutions did you try to work through? Like what was there for you? Uh, a lot of guys, tons of guys tried to help. Al Leiter was huge. He tried to help. He was helpful. Uh, Paula Duca, everybody was trying to help every, like everybody was like, uh, AJ Burnett, like, you know, Josh Beckett, all like Dontrell, like everybody was trying to help me figure this out, you know, and they're giving tips and what they do and like things like that. It was a lot of mechanical stuff that they were trying to do. And like, but it was just all like, it was mental stuff. They were taking a mechanical approach to something that was like a mental, I was, I was having just a mental problem. Like, I don't know else to say it. Like it was just, and I knew I was so mad because I knew it was me holding myself back. It wasn't me physically not being able to cut it. It was my brain for some reason stopping me when I was like a thread's length away from 
getting everything I've worked for and showing, you know, again, trying to show everybody, you know, I can do this, like I deserve this and I belong. And it was myself that stopped me. It wasn't anybody else, you know. How constant were you thinking about it at that point? What was good? Like, how were you spending your time away from the field? Were you able to decompress at all or was it just never ending? Yeah, a little bit. Like I would, I would still be, I'd fight it. Every day I'd say, okay, today's the day. I'm going to be good today. I got this. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to get this. I'm going to be back on track and then I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I did, like, I fought pretty much like that for the next, like, I want to say four years. Like, I just didn't give up pretty much. I was, I'm, again, pretty stubborn person, you know, and I just couldn't, come to the, I couldn't say uncle, like that I was going to beat myself. You know, I just couldn't like, that just wasn't something that I was going to, that was going to happen. So I just kept, you know, every day I was being stubborn. I'm like, we're going to get this, you know, what else can I try? What else can I try? You know, one day the pitching coach, we set up uh, cans and cones and all kinds of stuff where the catchers were. And then I would turn and he'd say, just call out like comb. And I try and turn and throw at the cone, just literally anything to, to kind of uh, like clear out and just get back to like what I normally do. So, um, yeah, that was pretty rough. I mean, I can imagine you go out to the, the Marlins returning to the Cubs. You go out, you go back out to Boise. What were what were each one of those those outings like? Like what? What what was your preparation to, to for your appearances? What was the bullpen like? And then what? You know, what was it like out there on the mound? Well, I didn't really get to pitch that much. It was just like once every two weeks they would throw me out there for I would walk two guys and get taken out. But the the pitching coach, we'd bring out a bucket of balls so for, for long toss. So I would throw a long toss after everybody was done throwing and off the field. It literally everybody off the field. And then we'd come out and like I would throw a long toss and we'd have a bucket of balls when I, you know, just – Salem or whatever like like I remember one day there's out of over center field there's like a hot dog stand or food food area and like I remember seeing this you know I could see the smoke come up smell the hot dogs and like I am on the right field line and I was worried about throwing one out there and hitting a hot dog stand like that was something that was like a serious consideration when I was throwing in an empty baseball field playing long toss. It was wild. I was like, and I, the hard thing is that, you know, it's wrong and not correct. You know, you know, you shouldn't be thinking like that. You know, it's not right. So that's, that's the biggest frustration. It's not like you're oblivious to it. Those last few years with the Cubs, how were you, how are you spending each off season? Because baseball, you know, you have, I mean, you, you get time off, you get time to, to decompress or do your off season training. What was, was your goal in the off season like uh, I'm gonna try to conquer this thing, or a you know I'm not gonna think about this. I'm not gonna do baseball. How did you you know? Did you go into each off season with a plan? I didn't leave. For I didn't have off seasons. I stayed there because basically I was rehabbing that whole time. So they would put me on rehab, and I went to the field every day to try to figure it out. So, like, when I say, like, fight for four years, like, there is no, like, I got to go home for two weeks, I think. But, like, it was, 
I was basically, I was there because I lived out here. So I'd go to, I'd go to get up and go to the field every day. So there really wasn't too much of a like off season where you go home and you have like a place that you train or work out. That's completely different. Like, it, cause there, at that time I wasn't really aware of any places to go. Um, it's not like it is now. So that was, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could stop. You know, because if I stopped, then it was like beating me and I needed to fig- I needed to fight and like figure it out. Like, I'm going to figure it out today and then we're going to be good and I'm going to be ready to play next year. And like, I just need to get this workout in and we're going to be good. Were there glimmers of hope? Yeah, that's that's that was a hard thing, too, is because because like I would they would like wave through. So I would pitch against hitters and it would be a disaster. Then I would be then I would play catch and it'd be bad. You know, and then I would play catch well, and then I would go to a bullpen. Bullpen would be somewhat bad, and then another bullpen, and then it would be bullpen would be pretty good. And then they just kind of like kept cycling there, but it would never tip over into the game. Like it was like once the hitter was in there, or especially a left-handed hitter, like then I was like, let's call like the feeling like from a one to 10, like 10 being the worst, you know, and just like, it would it would vary, you know, in the like four to five, and then once a hitter was in there, then we'd be bouncing like eight to ten, and then that's when it would just it would just get bad, and then we'd start to cycle over again. The conversations with with friends, family, old teammates, like anything, when when you talk to people, when people would check in, you know, even someone who had had no clue was just checking in to see, you know, oh hey, you're a pro baseball player, how's that going? how did you go about explaining it to people? And were you ever able to talk to someone who actually understood who had actually been through it? That's, I didn't explain to explain it really. Like I talked to my parents about it, you know, but nobody else really. Cause I didn't want to talk about it. I did want to talk to somebody that had it very badly, but again, they weren't able to get that wasn't available. You know, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't able to figure that out to talk to that's had it like i talked to tons of uh, sports psychologists all kinds of stuff read books did all kinds of things mentally to try to get over that but everything was done i wanted somebody to be out there with me in a game to help me through to talk through it but like that um that just didn't happen you know that's what i want i wanted to talk with somebody that's been through it that understood that could be like Hey, I'm feeling this. And then be like, yeah, I know. Like, I, I totally get where you're coming from. This is what I do when that happens. You know what I mean? And that, that just wasn't something that we were able to, to do at that time. You, you play out a couple more years with the Cubs, still doing the same thing. You do, you know, a couple quick indie ball stints. When is enough enough? Like not getting jobs is one thing. When did you decide I'm not getting back on the mound again? I'm not trying to fix this anymore. Yeah, the pretty much when the last indie ball team like released me, uh, I was actually doing towards the end of that. Like I was doing all right. Like I was starting to get get better with it, but I could still still feel it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't myself. You know, like it was a I was doing well compared to like the people around me, 
but I knew I was very, I was underperforming massively. So I was just having this whole mental fight going on still. Um, but yeah, like the last any ball, I was just like, all right, I'm just not going to pursue a team anymore. Cause people have kept like, they'd still bring me on all the time because they were just, were like, even with the Cubs, they're like, the coaches would say, Hey, do you realize after a bad outing, I'm sitting there like just a wreck after going out there and they're like, do you realize if you just get the ball over the plate, you'd be in the big leagues by the end of the month. And I was like, yeah, I actually, I, I am aware of that, you know, and that's what makes it even worse. You know, like it's just, uh, it's really difficult. But yeah. So that's when the last indie ball, I just didn't, I stopped trying to go back basically. Well, you, so you, you retire, you get married, you have a kid, you go to school, start, start training, start, start working. How long did you go without throwing a baseball, without picking up a baseball? I think it was about four to five years, you know, give or take a little bit more on the, you know, towards five. Um, I hated baseball. I had trouble watching it because I knew, you know, watching it like that I was better than the people and that whole competitive side was just very difficult to swallow you know i didn't really want to have anything to do with it i wasn't even training really baseball players to start it was just like sports in general and then like it kind of just obvious like just veered toward baseball because that's what i knew better i knew the guys i knew how to talk you know the talk the lingo all that good stuff so then i just started getting in with more baseball guys i was gonna ask did you have an aversion to training baseball guys like was it something you initially set out to uh, to maybe try to try to avoid at first yeah at first i didn't i didn't really want to to just go down that road again and just try to you know put it behind me a little bit and like give it some time to breathe and just kind of you know all right, relax and uh, kind of move forward. But yeah, it didn't, um, I didn't really want to, but at the same time, that's how I knew I was valuable and I needed to make money and I needed to, like, if this was a choice, my career choice, like baseball is going to be my best chance to be valuable to a company or to other people. What was the first time you played catch like after that four to five years? Uh, it was actually, it was, it was pretty fun because by that point, um, you know, I had really good relationships with the, you know, the players that we were working with. So we had a lot of fun and they were, they kept begging me to throw and, you know, like come play catch with us, you know? And so we had one of the guys that needed to catch throw, had throw with somebody. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come out and play catch. And I was just like, I did the whole thing. Like, Hey, I don't know how this is going to go. Like I'll do it. Cause you need it. But like, let's, you know, and then I, I did it and it was good. And I felt like this huge relief of like, wow, you know, like my worst fears didn't happen. You know, it was actually good. I enjoyed it. You know, we had fun. Um, so then, you know, that was kind of the first time we played catch again. Well, not only do you start training baseball players, but you wade pretty heavy into the waters of what has now been this new age of, of player development, of, of pitcher development. And, you know, how did you wade into the waters and why did you decide, you know, did you really go feet first into figuring out new ways to train and not just doing the stuff that you were doing at Ball State in the early 2000s and, and you know, finding driveline? Um, so the 
So what we did in my high school, we do over we did over and under load training, and we did pretty aggressive throwing and shuffle throws and uh, all that stuff in like '99 and '96. So that's coach held there. So that all was like pretty normal to me, to be honest. Like even there's like a long toss controversy going on at that time. So like that long toss is bad and you shouldn't do it. And uh, you just need to throw from 60 feet and that's all you need to do. Um, so I didn't really know how to throw any other way than long toss, you know, over and under loads actually training. So that's kind of the, the first step was it wasn't really a big hurdle for me. And then number two, it was, like for me, I felt like the normal thing of just, you know, like I say, getting older, just putting on weight, you know, like I had to really work at getting better and I had to seek out things that were just, you know, possibly at the time, you know, a little different, you know. So uh, that's kind of how I stumbled across the driveline things. And again, like if there's a better way to do something, like I want to do it. I want to at least understand it and know it and try it. And I know I want to know the ins and outs. And uh, if, if there's possibly something that doesn't work, yeah, I want to have options for the guys I work with. They don't all have to do it or use, you know, those, those tools, but I want to be, I want to know everything about anything, <laughs> you know? So that's kind of uh, how I got into that. And it kind of, it made sense with, to me, you know, as a, as a little different way to train pitchers. What was the first time you got back on the mound like? When you actually decided, I'm going to throw a bullpen, I'm going to throw off a mound. Uh, it's kind of, it's been a while. So uh, <laughs> it was, it, uh, it was a lot of fun. We had, again, one of the guys, one of our, we were, I was training a catcher. Um, he's now in the, like, doing work with the Braves in the uh, front office scouting, I think. But, uh, you know, he's like, hey, I want to catch you. Can you come out and throw a pen? Like, just come out with us, you know, and kept, kept on it and on it. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll come out and throw. And so we threw, and then I got on the mound and threw, and it was, you know, I was basically, you know, my velo wasn't uh, like knocking anybody's socks off, but um, it was fun. I was throwing the ball, like, you know, smacking the glove, you know, just carefree kind of thing. A lot of fun. Um, and that, that kind of happened, you know, so that happened. And then, uh, then he was catching for this, local indie team and he's like hey uh i'm gonna have my coach come out and watch you throw and i was like dude this is my second time throwing like i don't really know if i want to do anything like he's like no he's just gonna come watch so like my second time throwing i got offered to you know to play for this team <laughs> which was kind of crazy was there a time before you said actually said it out loud to someone that you wanted to pitch again, that you wanted to try to play professionally again, not just throw the like bullpens and stuff, but actually pitch, compete, get another shot? When did you when did you actually want it? When did the idea get in your head of like this is something I want to do? Uh, so there's a little period in there where I was, you know, like I was I wasn't full on training yet. I was still like relying on. Um, kind of what I had done in the past and then still figuring out the driveline stuff that, you know, I went to the Dodgers open tryout one, one year and I had no idea what it was, what it was or what was going on, but I was like, Hey, I want to, I've been throwing, like, I want to go out and have some fun. Let's see what's going on out there. And uh, like, I went in shorts and a t-shirt and a hat and like everybody's in uniform and I was very underdressed and just 
pretty embarrassed. I was like, oh, God, come on, man. But uh, so like there was a little bit of it never really went away because it was something also that sat poorly with me of like, I let this beat me. You know, I let myself get in the way of uh, something. And I just it was very hard to, you know, mentally, that's that's just kind of rough that you're in your you stopped yourself. Uh, Jeff Passon wrote a great piece on you for ESPN.com a few, you know, like two years ago now. And he talks yeah. about this pro day at driveline, the the day that got you got you another shot. Can you walk me through that pro day at driveline? Uh, yeah. So kind of the, you know, I flew up there, called, I asked Kyle, cause at that point we have a, you know, Kyle, I have a good relationship with him at that point. Um, and I knew they were having their pro day and I was like, Hey, is it okay if I come up and throw out the pro day, you know? And he's like, yeah, sure. Definitely. Come on up. You know, it's like, all right. So talk to my wife about, you know, getting a ticket to fly up there. And, uh, so ended up going up, um, didn't really sleep the night before. Cause I was very nervous. Uh, the biggest thing I was worried about, I just wanted, cause I know there's, it's, this is a serious thing. This isn't any play around event, you know, like these guys are here to, to, you know, try to get signed a lot of free agents. So my biggest thing is like, I didn't want to go up there and lay an egg in the pro day and have, and like stop that opportunity for somebody else to not be able to get it because I, because, because I stunk at the pro day, you know, Kyle didn't, wouldn't let somebody else like kind of come in and like come in in a role, like kind of how I did. Um, yeah. So then, you know, didn't really sleep great. Uh, got up, um, kind of went to the hot tub before to make sure my back was loose <laughs> before we went over. That's how you know things were different from when you were in your early 20s. Yeah, like I, I had a lot better process too of like trying to prepare and things like that and making sure, you know, everything was moving right, prepped better, things like that. So just got there, um, got there, and then it's, uh, I'm pitching, tells me I'm throwing second, and I was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. So this is happening right now, you know? So I got, got warm, things like that. There's so many people there. It was like packed at the old driveline facility. Uh, tons of people everywhere. But the weirdest thing was you could hear a pin drop. Everybody was dead silent the whole time. Um, get there, throw some playas. And then I get out there. I still don't know. I feel like pretty, like, I, I, I kind of remember sitting there with my back against the playa wall. And I felt the switch come back on of like I again like I had an adrenaline rush and it but it was in a good way of like wow I was like I'm I'm about to absolutely kill this bullpen like I just felt you know like everything turned back on like mentally I was very confident I was not worried about having all these people again like it was kind of back I felt like kind of at home again like I circled I came full circle of like Oh, I'm happy all these guys are here. I can't wait to show them, you know, that 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 type of thinking came back all at once. It was it was really like it was really uh rewarding even to that point. Whatever I did after that, like honestly, like I felt like I won there. You know, I mentally I mentally won. Um but I got in there like my first couple throws, you know, they they told me like all oh, the radar guns are eating like too slow. So if it's a little down, don't get freaked out. And I was like, okay. And, you know, my first throw was like 93. And I was like, oh, 
okay. So we're going to do that today. All right. Awesome. Like, here we go. Like it was, you know, and uh, just went through and, you know, it's really good. I felt very comfortable. I was just trying to hit a number. I really wanted just to hit a hundred. Um, got up to 98.5, but uh, yeah, I felt really good. I felt back to that same person. I felt like, you know, it was like went away that came back, you know, as, as, you know, just really happy and felt, um, I was so happy that I did it, you know, and came up and like took that leap of faith and put myself out there again in front of baseball people after, you know, like, honestly, it was embarrassing every time going out there and still like going out and going out terrible, 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 like for four years straight, just awful. And then putting myself in that situation again to allow that to be an option. I felt like I felt pretty empowered and that I was in control and, uh, it was just a really good mentally. It was like, it was a really good, um, day. You know, I, I pitched well too. And, uh, but like for me, it was more about the mental side. Well, you go, you know, you walk off the mound and then a few days later you, you sign with the Cubs. What was the, you talk about coming full circle. What was the, the second signing with the Cubs like? Uh, well, you know, so right away, you know, I talked with my representation and, uh, you know, we had a couple guys, a couple teams just like immediately were like, hey, we need to get this guy signed right now. Don't do anything unless you talk with us. And I was just really excited. Um, I f- again, like I felt good. I felt good about it. I wasn't worried. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of wild just to go through that again and to be with the Cubs. And that's what I ended up telling the other team. It was just like, I can't pass up a chance. Cause I felt, I felt really embarrassed too, because like you said earlier, like there's a certain expectation when you sign, sign first round, you get the money. There's an expectation level of like, Hey, you need to be a dude for this big league team. And if not, like that's a problem. So I felt, I felt really, you know, like I let a lot of people down, you know, and the way things happened, it just kind of didn't sit well. So to be able to have a chance to fix that, I really couldn't pass that up. Well, the Cubs sign you, um, things don't, you know, things don't go as planned. I think for, you know, for you, for anybody in the year 2020, you know, we're sitting here in, in 2021. Are you, I, I can't tell from your Instagram cause you, Every every now and then you just you put up a video of you absolutely throwing bullets. <laughs> what's what's the what's your elbow look like? Is is we near? And when I say near, we are recording like three hours from your fortieth birthday. What is uh, yeah. what's that left arm feel like as you get into your forties? So I'm yeah like so uh, when I went into camp with the Cubs, I ended up getting injured. It was kind of I already had like a you know a partial partial tear going on. Um, it was nothing the Cubs already knew about. Um, so ended up, you know, finishing it off and then we had TJ and then I did a rehab. And at some point during the rehab process, just the, you know, it just didn't work. Um, things just got re-injured. Uh, so I'm, I'm done throwing now. I, I, you know, I keep trying to do this thing like I'm going to pull it off, like I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to on ramp and I'm going to be fine. But like I, I'm just not 
It's just, I'll, I'll have to, I don't want to have surgery again. And if I keep going, like I probably will. So I'm pretty, as far as the throwing and this whole thing coming back, like I was in year three of giving it a shot, <laughs> you know? So it was just, my arm hurts. Uh, the surgery just didn't work. You know, it didn't work out. And I feel good about, again, like putting myself out there, giving it a shot. I felt great for a long time through the rehab process. And then, you know, COVID hit, got sent home out of nowhere in like the, you know, middle to end of the rehab and just didn't get, you know, kind of everybody got thrown up in the air. And, you know, when I started to throw again, my arm wasn't, wasn't working. Well, Satchel Page pitched in his 50s, so you, you've got some time. Um, there's still some yeah. time to, to figure that out. What is, uh, what's next? What are your, your post-baseball, post-second career in baseball? What are your, what are your goals? Um, so right now it's just uh, growing, you know, X2 baseball, um, trying to keep that product as good as possible, um, keep helping guys. To be honest, just helping, helping the players. Um, I'm definitely open to, you know, any baseball opportunities that come, uh, you know, uh, I think I, with my experience and just the highs and the lows and being able to relate to so many different people, um, you know, I'd like to continue to do that. And, uh, it's just, it's just fun helping, helping the guys, you know, um, you know, I didn't work out for me, but it's just great to, to be a part of their journey and, and uh, just a lot of fun. Typically on this pod, one of the, the questions I wrap up with is is what you would tell yourself about you know your journey before you signed. Um, obviously, I think that w- with you, I- I'd more be curious. What would you tell yourself as you s- first started to struggle with the yips, and what I- I'm sure you have had or will have at some point a player come to you struggling with that same thing. It's it's very common, and we're I think fortunately now living in an age where talking about mental, you know, struggles with, with mental skills or mental health or anything is much more common and is much more accepted. And we're, we're getting past that stigma. Um, if you got the chance to talk to, you know, you at 23, 24 years old or a player in similar shoes, what, what can you say to a kid like that? Um, so we, I've had that actually, uh, you know, we've had people come in that have problems. Um, but, I, for me, like the aggressive throwing program was very helpful in throwing into a net versus, you know, throwing into a catcher and see them see yourself spiking the ball all the time, just throwing into a net and then building up that, you know, that positive equity every time, you know, like, oh, I'm closer today. I'm closer today. You know, like, oh, well, now I, I didn't even miss a spot. Like, I'm good. And then just learn understanding the process of how to to kind of go from not understanding anything to being able to be a effective uh, person on a team, you know, day in and day out. Like that's that kind of process I think would have been the most helpful for me. Um, Cause there wasn't really any uh, mental trick or anything like that. It was just a lot of, it just took a while, you know, for one, it was space, but I think if I was in that situation, it would be just getting in the cage and starting throwing into a net 
and then starting building up that uh, equity. Like you got it, you can do this, you're fine, everything's fine. Look, you threw to a spot, you hit that spot. If you throw to that spot, you can throw to a catcher. If you can do a catcher, then you can throw to a hitter. You know, just building up that, taking yourself from that, you know, loss to, you know, pitching again. Luke, a quick uh, rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. <laughs> All right. Do you have a favorite minor league ballpark? No, not I really. I thought that, that it's it's the one thing I always ask, but I thought that I thought that might be a, a, a tough task, but I figured I'd ask. Best hitter you ever faced? Probably Sammy Sosa. That is a that is a good pick. I am staring at a Sammy Sosa poster on my wall right now. <laughs> Um, what is, so the, this is getting into the numbers. You're, you're into the driveline, you're into the, you know, the rap set, all the stats. Oh, yeah. What is statistically yep. the best pitch you've ever thrown? Uh, probably a fastball, 98.5. Uh, I think it was, I had 21 inches of, run, of uh, horizontal and like eight vertical. I would I would miss that by forty seven feet if I swung at that. Uh, how often do you get asked if you play or played basketball? Uh, almost every time I meet somebody. <laughs> like, now they now they understand like baseball players are big, especially from Arizona. They assume you play baseball a little bit too, so um, they just say, "What do you do?" <laughs> you know, like what sport do you play? Do you do something? <laughs> you know, like, well, I did, yeah. Speaking of basketball, have you ever thrown down an in-game dunk? Yeah, my first, in high school, my junior year, my first dunk was a alley-oop in one. That is sick. That is, uh, I am 5'7". Yeah. I, I dream about that all the time. Uh, last one. Will we see a pitcher hit 110 in a game in our lifetime? Oh, that's a, that's a, I don't think so. That's a pretty, that's like ridiculously hard. The thing that people don't understand is that once you get, even around 100, to go to 100 to 101, it's exponentially harder every mile an hour you go up. So it just takes so much effort. Like, I think, you know, maybe there will be at some point, but in our lifetime, it's just going to be, you know, like we'll probably see start seeing 106s, 107s, you know, maybe. But it's just hard because the stress that throwing puts on your arm, it's, it is what it is. Like you throw harder, there's more stress and the arm can only take so much. You know, we're trying to get ways that we can reduce stress and things like that, but just the facts are facts. The harder you throw, the more stress there is. So uh, the exponentially, the amount of force that you have to produce to throw at those levels is kind of hard to wrap your head around when you understand the stresses that are involved. Um, that's my, that's my biggest thing of, you know, balking at the 110 is just the being able to pitch consistently there. That many throws at that velocity just seems like, a, it's, you know, it's not impossible, but like pretty tall task. Fair enough. Fair enough. Luke, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for coming on from Phenom to the Farm. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Huge thanks to Luke Haggerty for stopping by. Remember, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate, leave a review. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed and future projection. And we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>